Welcome to The Real in Real Estate, your gateway to the source. Join us as we unravel the dynamic realm of real estate, offering insights, tips, and expert interviews to the heart of the industry and your property journey. We delve into exclusive insights, connect with industry leaders, and market trends to investment strategies. Let's uncover the tools and knowledge essential for navigating the ever-evolving landscape of property and housing. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to The Real in Real Estate. This is our first podcast, and I'm very fortunate to have my first guest as one of the premier lenders in Houston, Texas, and that is Chad Helmkamp with BWC Lending. Hi, Chad. Hey, thank you so much, Jean. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for asking me to be a part of it. Oh, I'm excited you could do this. I just want to give everyone a little bit of information about you, if you can bear with me for a moment. Uh, Team fondly refers to him as the Encyclopedia of Loan Knowledge, and I can testify to that because whenever I have a question, I call Chad. His commitment to finding the right loan for each person, no matter their background or situation, is not just professional excellence, but a testament to his genuine care and expertise. And I wanted everyone to know that because he's done all kinds of loans for me, including VA loans for friends and family. And when other people couldn't answer my questions, he always had an answer. So thank you, Chad, for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. That is a very generous and kind introduction. I appreciate it. I wanted to give just, since this is our first um, production here, I wanted to give everyone just a little background as to why I decided to do a podcast. And that's because when I first started in real estate, which was almost 16 years ago, I remember sitting down at my desk after I'd gotten my license and thinking, what do I do now? So my thought was go to the experts, which is exactly what I did. No one person can be an expert in every. Things. So I called on the experts. I called on the top producers, the lenders, the title companies to get the word out that was true and honest. No hearsay stuff. No, well, we did this 10 years ago. We don't do it now. So I went straight to the source. And that's what I'm bringing to you guys, straight to the source from the horse's mouth, so to speak. And today we're going to talk about lending, which seems to be everybody's topic of discussion at the moment because of the interest rates. I'm sure you get lots of questions every day. Is that right, Chad? Absolutely. Absolutely. The questions uh, never end. And uh, I always tell people, you know, I had somebody apologizing for how many questions they were. It's the first time home buyer apologizing for asking all these questions. I said, please don't apologize. I'd much rather you ask than not. And, uh, you know, I don't think there are dumb questions in our business. Maybe there are some, but very few. Well, as a realtor, I, people obviously are asking me all kinds of questions about loans, and I send them to the expert. I mean, I know some things because I've been in the business a long time, but I want to make sure they get the up-to-date current information. So the topic that is on everybody's mind right now is interest rates. So what is the current interest rate? I know I've been holding around 6.6 .6 lately. Am I correct? Yeah, the, it's a great question. And obviously the one we get asked all the time, and it's, I always tell people, I said, look, it, it, it depends, right? What, <laughs> what rate you may get may depend upon where things stand. But at the end of last year and the Latin, the fourth quarter, we saw rates really improve quite a bit. And so in October of last year, September, October last year, they sort of flirted with 8%, which was, and you know, a 40 year high. And so it, freaked a lot of people out, stressed a lot of people out. And then we saw rates really start to improve because the inflation numbers continue to improve over the last quarter. The expectation was that the Fed was going to start cutting rates this year. And so the market just went crazy. And then we uh, moved down into the low, low sixes, low to mid sixes. And then in some instances, even the high fives for some clients. 
However, I, I think our market always tends to overreact. And I think that's what happened at the end of last year. And we're sort of seeing that now. Rates are kind of mm -hmm. trending up a little bit. We ended the year kind of in the mid sixes, average rate of, like you said, 6.6. .6. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have come out with their projections for 2024. They expect interest rates to average between 6.6 .6 and 6.8, somewhere in that ballpark. And so I just quoted some, some options for a client this morning, great credit. His, his rates were ranging from around 6.375 to 6.875, depending on how he wanted to price his loan. So I think we are averaging right around that 6.6 .6 to, mm -hmm. you know, 6, 6.5, 6.6% 6 range as of today. Well, I was going to ask another question, but while you brought that up, tell us some of the things that go into why I would have a certain percentage for my loan and someone else might have a different percentage for their loan. And I know it's a lot of different things that go into sure. it, but in general. I would say the biggest the biggest uh, prediction of what kind of interest rate you're going to get is going to be your credit score. Okay. Several years ago, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac had it priced such that, I'll call it the FHFA. They're the ones who kind of control Freddie, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And it, if you had a 740 or better credit score, you'd qualify for the best rates available in the marketplace. Well, they tightened that up in the last uh, year or so to where now it has to be a 780. And so if you have a 780 or better credit score, you should qualify for the best rates that are available. Okay. Every 20 points, your credit score drops below that, you're going to see adjustments to your pricing. Those adjustments don't tend to be real significant until you drop below 720. And that's when you really start to feel it. Okay. Yeah. So if, you, if you've got a 720 plus credit score, you're still going to qualify for really great things. In addition to the credit score, the type of property you're buying makes a difference. So whether it's a single family home or a condo, um, the size of the home, the size of the loan that you're taking out uh, matters. So we have some clients that want to come in and, you know, put, you know, 70, 80% down and then their loan's real small. And then that causes the rate to go back up. So loan size matters, uh, the size of your down payment, your loan to value, the property type, credit score. So lots of different variables that come into play. Um, and that's why I always tell people, let's have a conversation. Let me get the basics about what your goals and, and objectives are. And then we can start working that out. Then, like some people say, oh, well, I just got a rate of 5.875. And I hear that a lot. So, well, do you have the estimate? Send it over to me. Let me look at it. And invariably, whoever they're talking to, there's an online lender that everybody knows, probably the largest lender in the country. When I get their estimates, it's not uncommon to see two or three discount points on the estimate, which is a, a lot of money to pay up front to secure a lower uh -huh. rate. And so, yes, the rate looks great, but you're paying a fortune for it. And so I would say more people are paying discount points now than we've seen in a very long time. Probably 70 or 80% of clients we work with pay some discount points. But usually if you're paying more than one point, the break even on that is going to be five, six years down the road. And if you think that we're going to refinance in the next couple of years, you're probably spending money that you shouldn't. Okay. That makes perfect, perfect sense. Let me ask you another question. Uh, a lot of people will say, well, you know, my credit's not great. I really don't think it's time to talk to a lender. And I always try to convince them to talk to a lender because who better to help them get on the right track than you? And is that a fair statement? A hundred percent. And and there is no doubt, I would say the largest objection that we deal with on a, on a probably daily basis. I have this conversation two or three times a day sometimes. And it's one of those ones I wish I just could record it, hit play and let them listen to it. But it's, it's oh, I don't want you to check my credit. It's going to hurt my credit score. And I would say probably better than 70% of the time, the people who follow our process, meaning they get pre-approved, 
anywhere from six to 12 months prior to buying, the next time we have to pull their credit, their credit is better than it was the mm -hmm. first time. And it's because we we do a credit consultation. And I'd say the feedback we get the most and any time we're working with buyers is, is what we hear the most is no other lender does this. And that's because we meet with every single client on Zoom, just like we are right now. I share my screen. I review their application. I review their credit report and we go through it. And I always tell people there's two outcomes as a result of us pulling your credit. One, we find out that you're good to go. That's a pretty nice feeling to have. Yeah. And all you've got to do is just wait until the right house comes along. So that's one outcome. The other outcome is we have a problem. And guess what? If you've already found your house you like, we don't have time to fix it. Yeah. Whereas if you do it six to 12 months in advance, we have time to work on it so that when we do pull your credit again, your credit is better. So I would say that's the biggest issue. And like what we had a client recently, they had really pretty darn good credit, but they had very limited credit. And so their score was a 720, but they didn't have a lot of credit to work with. So there really wasn't more that they could do other than just give it more time. So, but we, we have that conversation with every client and most clients walk away feeling much better about their situation. Good, good. I never want them to wait till the last minute. Like you said, find the yeah. perfect house and they can't. It's yeah. always better to work ahead. Okay. Another question I had was, can you put in layman terms, please? Uh, <laughs> the fluctuation in the interest rates, what really drives that? Oh man, uh, I tell you, it's funny. Uh, and I'm sure I'll, I'll sort of mention this to you. Like if you're not playing with AI, we play with chat GPT a little bit. And so I was playing with chat GPT to ask that question and see what it would say. And it really gave me some good bullet points to sort of hit them all. But the, the bottom line is what determines mortgage rates is the trading of mortgage-backed securities in the bond market, okay? And what causes those the price of those bonds to go up and down is all kinds of news. Over the last several years, it's been all about inflation. Inflation's mm -hmm. been the highest it's been in decades, shot up to around 9% due to all the COVID stimulus that took, that took place. And so because inflation went up, you're going to see mortgage rates follow that. Mortgage rates are going to move higher as well. Now inflation is coming down. Mortgage rates are starting to come down. And I think they will continue to improve. And so that's why I think this year we'll, we'll see some improvement. Hopefully by the end of the year, we're in the low sixes, maybe even high fives. And then maybe they'll improve a little further next year. But I always tell people our business is sort of sort of sick. The worse, the worse economic news is, the better rates tend to be. So when unemployment goes up, when we enter a recession, that usually means mortgage rates are coming down. And so people who are in a position to buy tend to benefit from the lower rates. People who are looking to refinance also have benefit from that opportunity. Right. But the biggest thing is the trading in the secondary market. It does follow the U.S. Treasury a little bit. So the U.S. Treasury, the 10-year Treasury does, uh, they tend to follow one another, uh, but it's not always the case. There are periods of time where you'll see them trade differently. We might see the U.S. 10-year Treasury yield go up and mortgage rates come down, but that is pretty rare. It doesn't happen very often. Okay. Is that simple enough? <laughs> I think so. I think so. We'll always still have questions for you, though. <laughs> well, I will touch on, so, so the economic conditions I touched on, the inflation I touched on, the central bank, let's talk about that, the Fed. So I didn't talk a lot about the Fed and what the Fed is going to do. Uh, I did mention it at the beginning of our podcast here where I said that at the end of last year, every the expect by in December, the expectation, there was 100%, the market had priced in 100% chance of the Fed cutting rates in March, the spring meeting. Right. There was 100% chance. Here we are three weeks into January and that percentage has gone from 100% down to about 60%. Oh. Okay. 
So it's already shifting, and that's why we're starting to see rates trend back up. Usually, and so people say, oh, I heard the Fed cut rates today. What happened to mortgage rates? Usually by the time they cut, it's already been priced into the market, and it's not uncommon to potentially see rates tick up when they actually do the cut because they've already priced it all in ahead of time. Then they cut the short-term rate because that's what the Fed is changing. They're adjusting. They're uh, adjusting short-term rates. For those of you who have savings accounts, you probably have noticed that for the first time in a very, very long time, there are financial institutions paying nice returns on money market accounts. I think Fidelity has like rates between four and 5%. And for decades now, they've paid virtually nothing. Um, and so as the Fed lowers those rates, you're going to start to see those money market rates come back down as well. So that's what the Fed is controlling, whereas mortgage rates are more long-term. And so there's not always an automatic impact right away. It's usually a lag effect. Well, as you know, of all uh, people would know, we got down to under 3% interest rates during the COVID, the pandemic. I've been told that's never going to happen again if people are waiting for that to happen. If it did, it maybe not in our lifetime. What is your thought on that? I would tend to agree with it. Um, I do think that, you know, that yes, the old saying, history does repeat itself. I do feel like our government is, is our Fed, Federal Reserve, central banks are learning all the time. I think they're going to review what they did during the pandemic, and I don't think they'll ever repeat that mistake. Yeah, They did a lot of really great things, a lot of things that needed to happen, but they absolutely overdid it. Uh, we really probably never should have seen rates in the twos, maybe not even the threes, but you know, threes to a degree based on what we were going through. Because at the time, I think we were in the fours. So it wasn't like, it wasn't that big Seriously. of a stretch to get to the threes, yeah. but to go all the way to twos was was pretty crazy. And I think that's the challenge, right? Home buyers are really focused on what they missed out on as opposed to the reality of what's to be expected moving forward. And most people will tell you, people need to get comfortable with rates in the fives yeah. and sixes. I mean, fives yeah. is going to be good. Fives is going to be really good. Sixes is probably going to be sort of normal. And I think we only really see the fours if we enter sort of a kind of more severe recession. But um, Which we don't want to see, right? We don't want to see. And, you know, of course, it's always the events you can't predict, right? Like mm -hmm. who could have predicted COVID? No one. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there's a lot of turmoil in the Middle East right now. And every time I watch the news, it just seems like there's more and more military conflict with yeah. It just seems to be expanding. And of course, usually when we go into war, we tend to see rates come down. But I don't know. It's a it's sort of a scary situation to watch. But, you know, we don't have any control over it. We can't really predict what's going to happen there. You mentioned the word waiting. So I was at a Hyreba meeting last week, which is Houston Independent Real Estate Brokers Association. And we had a guest speaker who uh, gave us a lot of great information. But I'm, I want to read something to you that he passed out because I think this says a lot. In 1971, the interest rate for a mortgage was 7.33%. If you waited for interest rates to go down, you wouldn't have purchased a home until 1993. You would have rented for 22 years, waiting for rates to go down. Meanwhile, the value of real estate quadrupled. Don't wait to buy real estate. Buy real estate and wait. Marry the house. Date the rate. Because you can always change the rate, right? Absolutely. I couldn't <laughs> I say it better great. myself. I thought yeah. that was great. Really it's so true. That. And I try to show people that too. I mean, it's, look, it's, you know, when you're renting a hundred percent of what you pay is going to somewhere else, right? You're receiving no benefit from it whatsoever. Uh, whereas when you buy a home and you start benefiting from that asset, that's appreciated. And, and like I tell people, so if you're down, let's say your down payment is, you know, $20,000 on whatever you're buying. If that's what you have to put down, 
Well, you can put it down on a house and buy a house that's say $300,000, okay? You buy a $300,000 house and that $300,000 asset's appreciating at 3% at 3 to 5% a year, which is kind of historical norm for Houston. You compare that to investing the 20,000 in the stock market that may go up 7 to 10% a year. That $20,000 in 10 years in the market is not going to be anything compared to what your $300,000 asset is appreciating at a much greater it's a much larger amount. It's the it's a highly leveraged investment. I just don't see many people who buy a home that look up 10 years from, from now and have, have regretted it. It tends right. to work out very, very well. Right. And you can either put escrow in the landlord's pocket or escrow in your pocket. I choose my pocket. Absolutely. All day. <laughs> so let's talk about down payment now, because that's always a question for people. Mm -hmm. I know that varies and there's you know, you, you can't put down 3% and expect to get a great interest rate. Do you want to talk a little bit about the different choices people have? Absolutely. In the space that I'm in, and I, I work in the single family residential space, one to four unit properties, we can finance with conventional FHA and VA. Technically, we can probably offer a USDA loan, but I've quoted two in my career. I'm in the city of Houston and those 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 products are typically way out in the in the rural areas, so it's not really my area of expertise. But conventional FHA and VA, those are the, where we focus on. And on conventional, as a first time buyer, you can put as little as three percent down. FHA is three and a half percent. And of course, if you're a veteran or serving in our military, right. you can put zero down. Which the VA loan is one of my favorite loans to offer. I love working with vets, and the, the rates are great. The product's great. There's a lot of misinformation about VA loans out there, but it's a yes, there is. Product. There's so many great benefits to it. It's a great product and don't be afraid of it if uh, if you're not familiar with it. Just make sure you're working with somebody who is familiar with it and yes. they'll tell you what to what to be aware of. Yes, that is so true. You, you've got the facts and I appreciate that. Are there any special programs or incentives out there for first-time homebuyers? What can we do to get them to take the plunge, so to speak? A absolutely. With Fannie Mae, so at 3% down, there are other programs like the Fannie Mae Home Ready product, as well as the Fannie Mae Home Possible product, both are 3% down and they have extra benefits as far as interest rate and mortgage insurance are concerned. Your income has to be below a certain level to qualify for them. So that's where the income uh, factor comes into play. There are lots of programs out there for first-time home buyers, like uh, down payment assistance and grants and things like that. I just always tell people, you really have to be careful with them because there are lots of details with them that you have to qualify yeah. for. Um, I've, I've only worked with a couple of them in my career. We're not currently set up to work with any of those programs, but I tell people, you know, certainly explore them, look at them, uh, but just know that your income levels have to be, you know, on the lower end of the range to qualify for them. And so typically what I'm doing is I'm trying to work with clients and work towards the more traditional, you know, 3%, 3.5% down payments, mm -hmm. because if you have good credit, your rates are still going to be pretty darn mm -hmm. good. And when you look at the sort of the down payment assistance programs, there are additional costs to them and there are additional, a lot of them have higher rates, which means you're just paying for it over the life of the loan over a longer period of time. And so if you have a client that's in a position to have a come up with a down payment, whether it be on their own, maybe a gift from family or something like that, they tend to be much more cost effective over the long term. Well, you brought up another subject, gifts from family. Do you want to talk a, a minute about that? I know that they're they're doable, but they mm -hmm. come with rules. <laughs> yeah, there there are rules around it. They're not terribly complicated, but the number one rule is it's got to be a gift. It can't be a loan. 
you know, that we get that all the time. It, it can't be something that's required to be paid back. So, mm -hmm. um, so there's a gift letter that both parties sign. Uh, we have to document where those funds come from. So for example, I just worked with a, with a client who had more gifts than I've ever seen on a transaction <laughs> and it proved to be challenging, but we worked through it. Um, as long as we can document where it came from and that the person has the ability to gift those funds, then we're in great shape. Um, sometimes I get people that are frustrated by it, but I just have to tell them that the reason we do this is because in the past we've had clients say, oh yeah, they, they, my mom can give me this money. And of course we dig a little further and mom really didn't have the money. She took out a cash advance on a credit card and then gave her daughter the funds. And that snowball effect isn't really a great situation, right? So we've got to make sure we can source the funds where it came from. Whether it's conventional or FHA, we'll sort of change what the documentation looks like. But again, we if you call us, we will tell you the easiest way to handle it. Then I have lots of conversations with people providing the gift because sometimes they get frustrated saying it's none of your business. And I said, well, it wouldn't yeah. be my business except <laughs> yes, they're borrowing is. money from me. So therefore it is my business. And, yeah. and I don't and I don't make the Fannie Mae rules. So <laughs> I'm just following it. Mm -hmm. Understood, understood. This is a, a little bit like after they get the loan, but this came to my mind, especially for first-time homebuyers. You're excited. You've got the house. You're almost ready to close. You need a refrigerator, washer, dryer, lawnmower, all these sort of things. And then there's that favorite sofa that you just found that you love. Don't buy any of it. Don't buy it until after you close. You want to talk about that? Absolutely. Uh, obviously, we get those questions a lot, especially from first-time home buyers because they're the most excited. And it's usually, oh, it's a Labor Day sale, it's a Memorial Day sale, and and I said, and guess what? In the in the week after that, there will be an after Labor Day sale. Yeah. And, you know, it's like I just tell them, I say, look, and if you have cash to pay for these things, and it's not the cash that you're using for your down payment, shop to your heart's content. But it's not worth the potential of it either delaying your closing or worse. Uh, eliminating the closing altogether, right? So probably the most common thing that does that is somebody going out and buying a vehicle in the middle of the process. And don't change jobs ago, either. Don't change jobs. And don't change jobs. A number of years ago, I had a client that was repatriating back to the U.S. from overseas. And uh, he said, I need to buy new vehicles. We don't have vehicles. I'm like, okay, well, he had really strong credit. I said, I think you should be fine. I don't really see any issue uh, with your credit. I think your credit can handle it. But I said, but let's make sure, make sure your payments don't exceed X. Well, of course, he didn't follow up with me. His payments exceeded X, and then his debt-to-income ratio became an issue, and he ended up having to pay off a bunch of student loans, and he wasn't real happy about it. And I said, well, I, I, gave, I was pretty clear in my instructions, so as long as you do what I tell you, we'll be okay. And anyway, it, but it happens, and some people have to purchase things just because of life, uh, but whoever you're working with lender-wise, I just tell people, talk to your lender, make sure you're communicating right. about it. Our 10 Commandments has that on there. Don't change jobs. Don't make big purchases. Some people read that document. Some people don't. We do make every client sign it. And people will call us and go, hey, it says not to move any money around. And the purpose of our document is to get people to ask questions. We can overcome a lot of those things as long as we talk about it. Uh, but like one of the, the one thing, don't move money around. The reason we tell people that is because it creates frustration. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that we can't deal with it because we can. It just creates a lot more work for you, the home buyer because we have to show the money going from this account to that account, from that account to this account. And so when you have to provide activity printouts, bank statements, et cetera, people get really frustrated with that. And nobody wants anything that's going to delay the process or delay the closing. Exactly. And just, and I, you mentioned this, but just to clarify, the reason we say don't buy anything substantial is because it affects your debt to income ratio. 
And that's very important getting a loan. Debt to income ratio, as well as uh, potentially your credit, right? So uh -huh. in some instances, you know, it, it could be, and this doesn't happen very often, but every credit, every loan that we do, they, we, when we get to the end, we reserve the right to do what's called a soft check on the credit, meaning what they're looking for, has any new credit been added? Has any new credit been applied for? And that can A, cause delays. B, in some instances, we do have to pull a whole new credit report. And if your credit score was, say, 781, and that new trade line caused it to go to 760 or 759, now all of a sudden your interest rate changes, your pricing changes, things yeah. like that. And so, it, again, it just creates more frustration and, and irritation and possible delays. Well, Chad, I could go on with you talking about this for a long time, but I <laughs> think people only have a span of attention so much. So why don't uh, we will get back together again and talk about more aspects of loans and lending. But why don't you give everyone your contact information? What's your website address? Absolutely. Uh, our website is uh, www.bwclending.com. BWC, short for Because We Care. So bwclending.com, all of our contact information is there. You know, feel free to reach out, email me, call me, whatever, whatever works best for you, and we'll be happy to help you. And people, they really do care. <laughs> all right. You thank sure you do. so much, Chad. I'll see you soon. Thanks so much, Gene. I appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to The Real in Real Estate, your gateway to the source. Be sure not to miss our upcoming episodes loaded with fantastic insights, expert tips, and all the latest trends in the property scene. Don't forget to stay connected with us on our Trilogy Realty Group socials, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and even TikTok. Until next time, take care.